We're back. Finally. I've kind of gotten used to singing to an empty room, so I'm excited to have y'all back. And if you're with us today on live stream, thanks for being here. Go ahead on the chat and tell us that you're here and where you're watching from. We would love to know. We're in person again, and this is awesome. This is so exciting. Uh, I want us to stand together. I want us to read this, this verse out loud. This morning, I know, I know we got our masks on, but I want to encourage you to sing out with us this morning. Hear these words. This is Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. And here's why. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. Why? So that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I give you thanks forever. And so we sing this together. It's a staple. It's a song we hold on to in Christ alone. Let's sing it. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease.
best in me from life's first time to final breath jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i'll sing till he returns or calls me home here in the power of
He's holy. He's worthy of our praise. I want us to read this prayer together out loud. So read this with me. This is from our clarity book. I was asking this. Lord, I ask that you open my ears to the voice of your spirit. By faith and through the encouragement found in community with other believers, expose what I have been unwilling to surrender to you. Help me earnestly repent and turn again to the simplicity of my first days with you. Everything is empty and meaningless unless I find you in it. Give me eyes to see you and a heart ready to respond in gratitude and praise to all you do. Thank you for your great mercy lavished on me. To you be the glory forever. Amen and amen. Let's sing this together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are new. His mercy is
Lord, you have lavished us with so much mercy. Lord, our sin is great, and your mercy is more. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be back in person together. What a joy it is to sing in the community of other believers, lifting our voices to you, the only one worthy of our praise. So, Father, this morning, would you teach us from your word that we may leave here differently. So, your name we pray. Amen. And grab a seat. Thank you, team. Is it great to be back or what? Where y'all been? I keep coming here every week for the last 174 days, wondering where my people are. Y'all are my people. So miss you guys. I want to give you a big six-foot distant corona hug right now. And I see your smiling eyes, and it's just so good to be in the room uh, with you this morning. It has been quite a six months for sure, and I know because um, I've heard some of your stories, and I know that many of you, your personal economies have been impacted. Many of you have experienced a lot of transition in very unique ways with your children, um, with loved ones that have passed away, and no doubt um, it's been in quite a six months. You know, back in December of 2019, does that sound like a long time ago or what? We asked God as we started this Clarity 2020 initiative, we asked God specifically in 2020, God, would you show us Jesus more clearly? And Moses smelled the roses. Wow, who would have ever thought the lessons that we would have all been learning uh, during this time. And so God, in some ways, has been faithful to answer that prayer in different ways for each person in here. And so uh, we're going to get to look at some of those lessons as we dive into our passage this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to pick up where we've been in our church series. But I wanted to take a few minutes to just share a few just pastoral things with you, some things that that I've learned, and I wanted to um, appreciate you in those things. Uh, one, I wanna tell you how proud I am of you as our church, because you've been the church scattered in different gatherings across Fayetteville. You've continued to lean into the one another's as you've cared for one another. And while we weren't meeting on 
Sundays, you were living out those one another's in ways that I've never seen before, and you're to be commended for that. Those of you that are listening on our live stream, which by the way, we're going to continue doing that. Thank you for your role in that experience these last six months. You've been the church, and I'm so grateful for that. Also, you've continued to be incredibly generous, and we don't take that lightly. Uh, We continue to try to steward our resources as best as we can to invest in our staff as they invest in our community, to invest in our community partnerships, to invest in our global workers, and your consistent giving has proved that to be very easy to do. And so thank you so much for your generosity. And then I wanted to share just a personal insight for just a few minutes, something that I observed early on uh, way back in March. March 15th, the last time we were here together, uh, Michael was teaching. And uh, I realized as I began to take long walks in the evening, God gave us a lot of margin, right? And so um, our gym shut down. I had a really odd fall and I messed my shoulder up. And about the only thing I had left to do was walk. And there was time on the schedule. And so after going by the grocery store to fill up the fridge for my three boys that had moved back in to the house, um, I would make my way into the university area, Mount Sequoia, or around my neighborhood, and I would just walk, and sometimes Pam would be with me. And I would ask these questions. God, what are we doing? What is humanity up to? And then my second question was, God, what are you doing? And as he began to peel back these layers in my heart, I realized that I had a lot of Jesus plus in my world. Anybody else experience that? I had a lot of Jesus plus, and it wasn't all bad stuff. There was just a lot of things going on that I would hurry to get to, events to attend, places to be, people to see. And I realized on my calendar, in that, I realized on my calendar in that first week, I looked up, and there was nothing to look forward to in the evening or in the short term, three to four months out, no trips, no nothing. We were all living in the unknown. And as that began to be stripped away, I'm walking and I'm going, all right, Jesus, it's you and me. And he had me right where he wanted me, uh, stripped of clutter. And it was very uncomfortable. You see, I'd built up an identity as, as a dad, as a husband, and hey, how about a job where at least from the outside world, your primary identity happens in an event that happens on a certain day called Sunday morning, and then that's gone. Lord, what, what am I doing? And he began to strip away these layers, and I felt as if he was saying, hey, so you talk about Jesus and how he's worth following, he's the worthy king, he's your Messiah, he's the Lord, but what if I take away everything else that makes your life seem abundant? And in his good grace, he gave us some incredible family time, but what if I take away a lot of these other things? Am I still enough? Because you talk a big game. And last week, he reminded me, it's a great summary verse of what I think he's been teaching me, John chapter 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this last week, I've been repeating that statement on some of my walks. Lord, where else would we go? You're the king. You have the words of eternal life, and I'm clinging on to that truth in a nation that feels angry and in a world that seems to be unraveling. And in this moment with you this morning, this feels so normal, and I'm so grateful to be here. Lord, where else would we go? And so with that in mind, I want to go to him in prayer and thank him for the good news of his son and the good lessons that likely he's teaching all of us through this. Father, thank you for the work of your son on our behalf on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his ongoing intercession for us right now when we don't have words to pray. God, I pray that your word would be made alive to us this morning, that you would reveal uh, heart idols that we can turn from, repent of, and turn to you because where else would we go for eternal and abundant life but you? So we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us this summer, uh, this summer or if you're new with us, I wanna catch you up to speed about where we've been and where we're going. Um, we're in a year-long series called Clarity 2020. And this past summer, we looked at the theology of Jesus, who Jesus is and what has he accomplished. Uh, we then, in the month of August and today as we finish this part of it, we've looked at the church, specifically six different cities that when the gospel came upon that city and began to transform people through the preached good news of Jesus and authenticating signs and wonders of the good news of the gospel, uh, these cities uh, became turned upside down, and it's the same in this city today, the city of Ephesus. Next week, we're going to begin 10 weeks in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and it's loaded with awesome stuff that God has for us, I think timely as a church. And so that's what we're going to be studying in most of our community groups, but we're going to pick that up next week. But today we're going to be in Acts chapter 19, the city of Ephesus. In this chapter 19, if you haven't read it in your clarity readings already, if you find it this week, this chapter, we won't, go, we won't read it word for word, the whole thing. If you have a theological system that you depend on to help you interpret scripture, this chapter will push the boundaries of that system. Let me warn you. When you read the stuff that happens in this chapter, you'll, you'll probably say what I said. We're, I don't have a file for this. This is, this is crazy stuff, and it's what happens it's the chaos that ensues when God reaches into the heart of a city and he begins to pull out and deroot an idol. And likely, that's gonna happen for each one of us and hopefully and prayerfully it will as we deconstruct idols that are deep-rooted in our heart uh, this morning. And so uh, the chapter starts off and Paul is uh, baptizing believers in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we have, as, as this destruction of idols begins, 
We have a display of power. We have a disruption of normal, which some of us have experienced that these last few months. And then we see the destruction of a very specific idol in the lives of some of these followers of Jesus. So we're gonna pick it up in verse eight and hit some of the highlights here. Verse eight of chapter 19. And he entered the synagogue. Paul did this as he normally would when he would enter into a city. He would, as a stewardship of bringing the gospel to the Jews, Paul would preach the good news of Jesus, their Messiah, to them and hold them responsible as they would respond to the gospel. And he did this for three months, speaking boldly, reasoning, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. He is your promised Messiah, Jews. Many of them responded with stubbornness and disbelief. And so he finds himself in the hall of Tyrannus, where he would interact with Greeks and Gentiles. In verse 10, it says this, he continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul, his first display of power is the preached word of God that God uses to cut to the heart and turn people from idols to serve the true and living God. So he's preaching to the risen Christ here. He's preaching the risen Christ to both Jews and Gentiles. He also does that in verse 11 through displays of power, and this is where it gets crazy. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And he goes on to detail some of those, even his handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched, when they would be touched by sick people, they were healed. Now, I know that sounds really strange given the stuff that you've seen on TV, but this is what's happening um, in this scene. And then we have seven Jewish itinerant exorcists. Imagine that being your job. And they find themselves in this power play against a demonic spirit. And this demonic spirit recognizes who Jesus is, recognizes who Paul is, but doesn't recognize who these exorcists are. This spirit overwhelms these seven exorcists it says, specifically, it says they fled naked and wounded. And again, I'm going, Lord, what are we doing here? It's a crazy scene. And then this is the statement in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. And so we, not, we don't just see power through the preached word, but we see power displays of power as the spirit comes up against demonic forces. And I'd like you to know, if you're taking notes, right into the margin here, Ephesians chapter six, I believe it's verses 11 to 19. It's a great picture of the, the demonic forces at battle with the forces of God's army and what's going on around us in the unseen world. And he, then he gives us specific um, uh, equipment that we use for warfare as we play our part in God's mission. And so it's a great um, cross-references for our, for our purposes this morning. So we have a display of power, and then we see the disruption of normal. And the good Dr. Luke, he gives us some incredible detail here in verse 18. It says, also, 
Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic, sorcery, they practiced the magic art, they brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. Of all. It made me think about if you're a, how many children of the 80s do we have out there watching or in the room right now? Got some 80s? Yeah. So do y'all remember ever coming back from church camp and taking your cassette tapes of Ozzy Osbourne or like Rush or Black Sabbath or Kiss? I know none of y'all would admit that. Dad, I would, I never listened to that music, right? But, and you'd come back and you'd burn these cassette tapes, you'd burn these albums and throw a pine cone in the fire and, you know, swear away the rock music. You've got that kind of scene going on, but it's a very expensive sacrifice that they're making here. It says they burn them in the sight of all. There's a public recognition that they have a new Lord. It says they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And again, this phrase, this prevailing gospel movement continues to take over Ephesus so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And we have a disruption in the city's economy and personal economies here. And we have a real life picture of what biblical repentance looks like when someone believes the gospel. They turn away from these idols, idols of pragmatism, idols of wealth, idols of worship, of Artemis here. And the heart's transformed, behavior is changed, and sacrifice is made to follow Jesus. The disruption of normal continues in verse 23. About that time, there came no little disturbance concerning the way. It's simply a phrase that was used to describe um, the, the way that followers of Jesus would live this movement of the gospel. For a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he made silver shrines of Artemis. Artemis was their cult goddess that they would worship in the city of Ephesus. The temple that they had built to worship this goddess, 126 pillars, 60 feet tall. So you can imagine the size and the centerpiece that this was. It's considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. So Demetrius is acknowledging as a shrine maker, he would make these little figurines of Artemis and then sell them, promote idolatry, and then profit in his own personal wealth. He says they brought no little business to the craftsmen as well. So he gathered the craftsmen together who were in similar trades, and he said this, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. It made me think of what would happen in a college town if you remove the arts, if you remove all athletic activities connected with a certain university and remove all fall festivals of any sort in a certain town named Fayetteville, would there be a disruption in our personal economies, in our individual schedules, in some of the pragmatic, maybe idols or little G gods that we tend to worship? It's different than Artemis, but are there not some 
similarities? Would we feel the impact? And this is what Paul was preaching. And we go back to, we flip over a few letters to 1 Corinthians 8, and this is what Paul was preaching. He was dealing with an issue of meat being sacrificed to idols and whether or not you could eat that meat, and he said this, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods, little g in heaven or on earth, as in there, indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, and this is a statement I want us, we're gonna read it together later before we take communion. It's an amazing statement about what happens when the king makes himself known in a city. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Is that not a fantastic statement of who Jesus is and why he's worthy of praise? And this is what Paul was preaching. And this preach, preach word was having supernatural power to turn people from their idols to serve the true and living God. And then what happens is we have a riot break out, no doubt. And so many of you have those images in your head right now because of what you've watched these last few months. And so we have a scene much like that happening. Some of Paul's companions are pulled into the city center. And Demetrius goes on and says this, there is danger not only that this trade of ours is gonna come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis might be counted as nothing and that she might be deposed from her magnificence, she in whom all of Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they started to cry out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They begin to chant that and two of Paul's companions are dragged into the city center. Paul's having to be held back by some of his wealthy friends who he had sold the gospel with. He's trying to get into the middle of this riot and preach the good news of Jesus. And then it says this, verse 32, some cried one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Have we done this? Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who was a Jew, they put him forward. He motioned with his hand, wanted to make a defense. They shouted him down. They recognized he was a Jew. And for about two hours, two hours, they continued to chant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so multiply a Friday morning after Thanksgiving at your local Walmart by 20. Anger, confusion, violence. In a much less violent way, hopefully, for many of you that were there. You remember the 99 Tennessee game? And what happened uh, down at the stadium and, and what made its way down to Dixon Street and the go, it's just a, just a throng of people, chaos. An idol is being dethroned and it's painful. And there are people that are working against this. Eventually the town clerk steps in and out of deference to Rome and trying to avoid being charged or fined because they were in charge of a riot. He quiets the crowd just enough and he dismisses the assembly. And I've got a couple questions for us this morning. Since we don't have a, supposedly a cult goddess that we all worship, right? What does this have to do with us now? What, what, is, what are modern day forms of Idols. How has the power of the preached 
gospel disrupted your normal and dethroned idols in your life these last six months. Later, Paul in Acts 26, he says this. He's given a testimony to King Agrippa, and he's actually trying to help him become a Christian. And King Agrippa knows it. And Paul asserts his testimony, and he says, this is the mission that Jesus gave me, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And he says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their deeds by, demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. To reveal what's in their heart by a literal turning from idols to serve uh, the true and the living God. As a follower of Jesus, do you have definitive evidence of repentance in your lifestyle that has revealed a changed king or Lord in your life? Hear me clearly. Not to earn salvation, not to earn favor, not to keep your salvation that was granted to you by grace, but to reveal a heart that has been transformed internally by the King Jesus. Do you have evidence of that in your life? The magicians have that in this scene. And it costs them money. The craftsmen embraced the pragmatism of their personal economy and they bowed their knee to Artemis and they refused to repent and had no life change. What about you this morning, your darkness to light, the power of Satan to the power of God? What does that repentance look like in your life? And I wanna help us as we close here identify some of those idols that maybe have crept into our lives. If we consider our culture and you consider what an idol is, anything that becomes your ultimate would be an idol, at least from the perspective of the heart. Uh, one guy in my community group, he likes to just refer to idols as lies that he believes that basically fake us out and promise us something that it cannot deliver on, significance, meaning, purpose. In our nation today, there's no question that we battle sexual idols. I know the easy one to go to would be pornography, but it's, it's obviously the easiest one to access as well. But it does capture a bigger thing in our heart that so many of us are chasing oneness or intimacy at the expense of God's plan in the scriptures in the context of marriage. We've actually begun to define everyone only based on their sexual expression, right? It's become a cultural idol. Some of us have been worshiping at the altar of our political ideology idols. And I know because some of you need to get off Facebook and YouTube, at least for a week, please. Some of us, have economic idols, whether it's the view we have of socialism or capitalism or what we think the Bible says about that, and or our own personal pursuit of wealth for our own comfort at the expense of others. It could be an idol that has crept into your heart. A young man a few weeks ago who's a leader in our church, he said when he started to follow Jesus, he had to realize that religion had become his idol. 
cultural idols such as individualism and independence. As much as I, as much as anybody, love those two concepts. When those things are practiced at the expense of loving our brothers and sisters, then we're asserting what's true in our heart, that we worship those things and not the appreciation of who God is and the image of God in our brothers and sisters. Or maybe these questions will help. You see, when God's good gifts become little gods, then we've got an idol problem. What do I fear losing? What do I run to in pain? What makes me angry? What gives me security? Uh, Who do I need approval from? What gives me my identity? What do I most look forward to? You can see here that not all these things are bad things. But like I said, when God gives us good things and those good things become God things, then we have idol things. Well, we are gonna take some time together um, to acknowledge who our king is. And we're gonna celebrate communion a way that we haven't been able to do for the last six months. And so if you're watching at home and you received our note about what we're gonna be doing this week, I wanted to give you time to um, get your elements. Um, If you have those with you right now, this is, you're gonna have to be very patient with us and with yourself in these next few seconds. If you haven't already tried, it could be a little tricky. So there could be some, uh, you can send your uh, cleaner bills uh, to Michael Smith um, this week. But through the act of communion, we want to acknowledge that as a a corporate community of faith, we're not going to buy in to the lies that idols present us. And we're going to kneel and bow to the one true king whose name is Jesus Christ. Uh, The wafer, by the way, is also, it's on the top there. And if we don't get to this, and you'd like to practice that at home as well, you can do that later. But as you're opening those, I'd like you to stand with me. I know for some of you to open that and to stand at the same time is a little tricky. It's like watching me dance for sure. Got a verse on the screen here that I would like us to read together. We read it um, just a while ago, and I'd like you guys to read it with me, beginning with yet. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. the broken body of our only Lord, Jesus Christ. Take and eat. The blood of the one true Messiah King. Take and drink. Jesus, to you be glory in us and through us, your bride, your body, your church, forever and ever. Amen.
glory, glory. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. Raise the anthem. We raise the anthem. Our loudest praises ring. We crown him Lord of all. There's no other so sure instead. Grumble and breath is fleeting. Upon this rock I will stand. Upon this rock. Upon this rock I will stand. Glory, glory. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all.
He's the only one worthy of our praise. He's the only worthy King. And so our prayer is that as we go this week, that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hey, thanks for being here. That's, that, that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, that was so fun to see people. Hey, we're going to dismiss a little differently. Um, our ushers are actually going to take the, hat, the back half of the middle section out first. And then we'll begin to move our way to the sides and then the front of the middle. And as you leave, we just ask you to get out of the foyer, get out to the parking lot, and then you can chat. If you walk outside and look to your right, you'll see a tent. We have some people there that, that would love to spend some time praying with you about anything going on in your life. And so stop by, let us pray with you, and don't forget to sign up for next week, and we'll see you next week. God bless you. We love you.
family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon and a thousand generations and your family and your children and the children and the children may his presence go before 